Um, I want to start off with a story. It's a little different than most of my stories, I'll be honest. You know, a lot of times I'm poking fun at myself or, or a family member. Um, and this one's not one of those, so bear with me. Um, but uh, this past um, uh, Friday, um, I actually got to be a part of a funeral. Um, and I know you're like, oh, man, really? Yeah. Um, but it was... Uh, Funerals are incredible, man. As people just come and they honor their loved ones. And this gentleman, he lived a long life. Uh, he was a veteran of the Korean War, um, and he served his country well. And just seeing the military honors there, it was uh, it was an incredibly moving experience. Um, and there, at his funeral, his family was there, and there was uh, a granddaughter in particular that really stuck out to me for a couple of reasons. One, um, she shared his namesake, and so she was clearly named after him. And she was, she was very upset. And so she'd lost this, this loved one, this man that had absolutely meant something in her life. And, and she, was, she was broken, right? She was grieving. And, and it's one of these things, I've said this often to people journeying through these types of seasons um, because I believe it to be true. But um, I say it because it, I think we need reminded of it. And it's this, it's okay to not be okay. And when we lose a loved one, right, there, there's feelings of grief, of hardships. It's a sad and a difficult thing. And maybe you didn't lose somebody that, that was close to you. Maybe you've lost something else or a different change in your life. But, but when we experience that grief, I think we need to be reminded that it is okay to not be okay. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. In fact, it, it's natural. It's something that, that God's given us. The emotion of sadness it doesn't come from the devil, even though sometimes I think it feels that way. Um, it, it's actually something that God's given us. And the process of grief, it's natural too, that, that there's a work that's done inside of us to help us to grow and to move forward as painful as that might be. Um, but tonight, what I want to talk about is a different kind of grief. And so again, tonight's message is titled this, It's Okay to Not Be Okay. And I want to talk about a grief that we experience um, that's from the sorrow of our choices. Because just like when we're going through grief of a loved one, or we're going through the grief of a loss of a job, or a change um, in circumstances, or a loss of a relationship, in those moments, we want to run from that. Right? I mean, nobody likes to be sad. Nobody likes to feel down. Nobody likes to go through that process. I've never met anyone who wants to lean into that. And so we want to run away from it, which is the last thing we want to do. Well, that's, that's multiplied. That's compounded when it comes to our choices. When we make a poor choice, there's a grief process that takes place. Well, that we recognize that. The things that we do that, that cause shame and guilt and disappointment in our lives, it makes us feel bad. And when we feel bad, culture, the world says, well, something's not okay. You need, to, you need to medicate. You need to run. You need to hide. No matter what it is that we're grieving from or what type of sorrow we're going through, not only is that the response we want to have, but that the world around us says that's what you should do. Like if it makes you feel bad, just stay away from it. And that can become incredibly dangerous, again, when it comes to our choices, our actions, the things that we're going through. And so tonight, I want to talk to you guys about a type of sorrow that God intends for us to have and a response that God intends for us to have to that sorrow. And we're gonna talk about godly sorrow. And so um, there's this, it's rather than running away from our failures, we have to learn to embrace them as opportunities for God's grace and his mercy. Again, 
Rather than running from our failures, we have to learn to embrace them as opportunities for God's grace and God's mercy. Rather than, than taking that natural instinct to turn tail and run or, or to hide from the consequences or to hide from what's going on, that, that we need to learn to lean into this grief and sorrow. So if you have your Bibles tonight, I don't ask you guys to do this often, but I would encourage you to open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And so 2 Corinthians comes after 1 Corinthians. And they're both letters, um, just to kind of give you some context of this. They're letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And so 1 Corinthians, he wrote this letter to address some things, some behaviors that the Corinthians were dealing with in their church. Uh, they, they weren't living life right. They were dealing with immorality. And they were making poor choices. And, and so rather than embrace the teaching that Paul had left them with, they turned back to the world, and so Paul wrote to them, calling him out on it, basically. And so the Corinthians were then left with a choice. Well, they had the choice to, to reject Paul, which I think is that's our natural response, right? When people call out the things that we're doing, the poor choices that we're making, things like that, initially we want to reject them. We want to deny that anything's going on in our life, that we have a problem, that we've done anything wrong. And if we feel bad about it, especially, it's even more difficult to lean into it. Because again, sorrow's difficult. We grieve our choices. That's hard. And so we're going to look at the Corinthians' response. And so Paul, in chapter 7, verse 5, is where we're going to start. He's saying, he said, when I uh, arrived in Macedonia... There was no rest from us or for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. So here's Paul. He's writing this letter. He's saying, man, we, we arrived in Macedonia. So he's not in Corinth, but he's saying, when we re arrived here, some things were going on, but we were encouraged when Titus arrived. His presence was a joy. But so was the news that he brought of the, um, the encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. And so Paul gives him this picture. It's like we were struggling. And I know we had this issue back here, you know, with the whole thing of 1 Corinthians where I was calling you guys out and this was harsh. But, but Titus showed up and he's encouraged me. And he said, you guys have actually received that message well. It's been an encouragement, a joy to me. 2 Corinthians 7, 8, he says this. I am not sorry. Say not sorry. I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. Whoa, Paul. Man, talk about a jerk. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. And so Paul's talking about this letter where he called them out for their behavior and their choices and said, you guys aren't living right. You're not doing the right thing. But they reacted well. So Paul didn't want to cause pain in them. He wanted to cause growth in them which all of our godly relationships and good people, accountability partners, sponsors, whoever it is, mentor, those people in your life um, that, that are, are, are telling you, man, you're not living right here. That, that's what they want. They're not, they're not there to cause pain. Paul, Paul's goal wasn't to cause pain. And so if it was, if it was painful, that's not what he wanted. But he said, man, because you learned something from it, I'm glad. And then in verse nine, he says, now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent. Say repent. repent. And change your ways. Now, 
All my people in here that aren't church folk, man, I get repents like dirty word, don't like it. I mean, it sounds way too churchy. And really all it's saying is that it caused them to turn away from what they're doing. Like that's all repent means. It's like, it's like a 180, we're gonna go the, the other direction. And so um, you're gonna make this choice, but you repent from it and now you're gonna make the right choice. And so it caused you to repent and change your way. So he's like, I'm glad I sent it. Not because of the pain that it caused, but because of the growth you received from my words. It caused you to repent, caused you to change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow, say sorrow, the kind of sorrow that God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. I'm going to pause right there. The kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, that, that, that pain that feeling that we experience in moments of stupidity, and I've experienced lots of them, almost daily sometimes, depending on the season, that, that there's something that I feel and experience inside that the world says, oh, just stay away from the people that are telling you you're wrong. Like, man, go find people that agree with you. Go over here and, and do this and listen to them because they're gonna make you feel better. But, but there's a kind of sorrow that God wants his people to have so you were not harmed by it in any way, that there's a kind of sorrow that God wants you to experience about your choices. Um, the other day, uh, actually last week, um, real funny story, um, I, I got put under for a real minor procedure. And, and my wife, I, I've been mountain biking, trying to get healthier. And my wife's like, you can't mountain bike after anesthesia. And I said, yeah, I can. Um, and so at that point, I had no choice, no matter how I felt, but to go mountain biking. And so that's exactly what I did. And so I had my sister go with me, um, and uh, so we're coming back. And as we're coming back, um, there was somebody at a light. It had turned green. They're not moving. And I just give a courteous honk. For Nothing big. Like, I just want to remind them. And it really wasn't. It was real innocent. They'd sat there long enough. I wasn't in the wrong at this moment. Um, they flipped me the bird. Um, and I gave them a thumbs up. You're moving. Um, and then we're getting down the road, and uh, by the grace of God or the devil, I don't know, they ended up behind me. Um, and we come to another light, and I'm like, ah, oh, man, like, I can give them a taste of their own medicine, right? Um, because that's what a godly man does in those situations. Um, and so the light turns, there's a long line of cars next to me, and I just kind of let off the accelerator and, and let the car like idle a little bit and, and move. And my sister, she just looks at me and she says, way to go, Pastor Aaron. And <laughs> my sister never calls me Pastor Aaron unless it's like that jab, like, oh, and I'm just like, ah, oh, I feel like such a dirt bag right now. I mean, am I representing the church? Am I representing the ministry? Am I representing God? Is this what I should be doing? And that's a lighthearted example. But in that moment, what did I, I felt sorrowful over my choices. Now, I'd like to say at the next light that it had sunk in all the way, but it actually took to the third light. It was the three lights in the middle of Claremore um, by, by the time that, that God really spoke to me. And by the fourth light over by Pizza Hut, I was over it. I was over it. Um, but there's a sorrow that we receive in these moments that, that, that can cause a reaction in us. And again, the world says, turn away from that. Find people that agree with you. You don't need to feel bad. That, that's, that's not for you. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to follow your heart and everything to be joyful. But here, Paul says, it was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. 
In that moment, God wanted me to feel that sense of conviction because I was doing something I shouldn't be doing. I wasn't living right. I wasn't representing him right. And, and because I'm so thick-headed that God's Holy Spirit wasn't enough, he also had to, to come upon my sister, and my sister had, had to hit me too. You know, I, sometimes I need the hammer, and, and she, she can be that blunt object that I need to kind of open my eyes. And so, again, he said, now that I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain it ca- caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by this in any way. In verse 10, he says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away. Say, leads us away. Leads us away away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow. Say, worldly sorrow. So Paul's painting a picture of two types of sorrow we can experience. Now, Now, one is godly, and it's healthy and it's good for us. And one is worldly. Now, the trick is this. Our single action can produce both. It's not what we're doing that causes the type of sorrow. It's where our heart's at. It's where our mind's at to see what's going on. So I can do the same thing and I can experience two different ways. And in my seasons of life, I've done that. I've made a choice one day and I've reacted healthy. I've recognized my fault, my wrong, and I've turned back to God. There's been other seasons, unfortunately, where I experienced worldly sorrow and I doubled down on what I was doing. And I pushed past the Holy Spirit speaking to me and said, man, we're just gonna send it and I'm gonna live life my way. And and that didn't turn out very well. And so Paul says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from our choices, leads us away from sin. And so in, in our New Testament, we get two paralleling pictures of this. And so there's two guys who made very similar choices on the same day. It's Judas and it's Peter. On Jesus's last night, the night that he's going to get arrested um, and the night that he's going to get put on trial, the day before he gets um, crucified, both men deny Jesus. One of them denied Jesus and betrayed him over to the Pharisees. And so Judas left the Last Supper. Um, if you've got a grandmother, you've probably seen the painting on the wall of a bunch of weird Greek-looking dudes at a table. That's the Last Supper. And so during that, Judas betrayed Jesus and turns him over. So Jesus gets arrested and handed over and eventually crucified. And so Judas... His reaction was not repentance. It was not to turn back to God. Actually, our Bible tells us that he hung himself. So his... His sorrow was worldly sorrow because rather than it turning him back to the arms of Jesus, who would have forgiven him in a moment, even after that betrayal, he doubled down on it and he continued to walk away from Jesus further and further and further until he hung himself in a field. That's worldly sorrow. Peter, on the other hand, he experienced godly sorrow. And so that night, Peter ran, betraying his friend Jesus, abandoned him, left him to the hands of the Romans and even denied Jesus three separate times, the son of God, that he even knew him. After Jesus told him he would do this and he swore he would never do it. He did it anyways. And I can't imagine the guilt that he felt, the sorrow, the embarrassment that that Peter felt. But it didn't turn him away from, from Jesus permanently. It didn't drive him into the hands of the enemy. That, that when, when Jesus showed up and offered Peter a way back in later on, Peter embraced it, recognized his faults, learned from them, grew from it, 
and became the Peter that wrote part of our New Testament, that, that, that spoke inspirational sermons that saved thousands of people that performed miracles. That's godly sorrow. Both men made very similar choices. Both men, I'm absolutely certain, felt like absolute trash because of what they did. But both men reacted differently in the end. And so there's a type of sorrow that God wants us to experience. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. And, and we need to learn to, to recognize when we do something that, that we instantly have a choice. That if there's something in our life, we instantly have a choice. It doesn't matter what's happened. It matters how we respond. Are we going to allow that situation to push us farther from God? Or are we going to allow that situation to push us closer to him? To draw us in so he can do a work in our lives. So he can open our eyes to his plan and his purpose. So he can grow us. Both options are painful. Neither one is fun. There's no easy way out of it, but we've got to make the right choice if we want to continue to pursue who God wants us to be. We can be Judas or we can be Peter, but we can't escape the sorrow that happens in our lives. We can't avoid grief at every turn. And eventually we're going to run into it in some form or some fashion, and we have to be prepared to respond in the proper way. And so... Point number one tonight is this, that, that godly sorrow should result in changed behavior. That godly sorrow should result in changed behavior. Worldly sorrow, I see this often, especially in this type of work, that people will make a choice. Uh, maybe they're doing well. They, they've had sobriety. They've stayed away from their struggle, and they've done phenomenal but then something happens. They relapse. They mess up. They make a poor choice. And instead of coming back here the next Monday so that we can love them, so we can show them the forgiveness of God, so we can journey with them, they double down. It's worldly sorrow. And worldly sorrow causes them to stay away the next week and the next week and the next week. And then six months later, when they're at rock bottom, they finally show back up ready just to change their ways and repent. That's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow, though, results in changed behavior. It's where, man, we still grieve our choices. It's still not okay what we did. But, but that feeling, we recognize that it's okay to not be okay. And we give God an opportunity to extend his grace and his mercy upon us so that we can grow and change. And so 2 Corinthians 7, 11, continuing, Paul says this, just see, say just see. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. So Paul's saying, recognize it. Look at it. You heard what I had to say. You recognized that you'd made a mistake. You grieved your choices and you changed. He said, such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, such readiness to punish wrong, you showed you show that you've done everything necessary to make things right. That's godly sorrow. When, when we embrace that we've messed up, we don't run from it. We accept responsibility and we do everything that we can to allow God to move in our lives, to grow us, to change us, and to help us to move past it. We allow it to transform us, to mold us, to shape us. And worldly sorrow says, ah, you don't want to feel bad. Just, just stay away from those people that are going to point it out. Stay, stay away from the people that are going to call you out, that are going to know you messed up. You don't need that in your life. Worldly sorrow drives us away from God. Godly sorrow brings us closer to him. Matthew 3, 8 says this, Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. That, that, that 
world, a godly sorrow creates that repentance and it's proved by the way that we respond, that, that our actions afterwards are, are, are evidence of God's move in our life. That changed behavior is evidence of God moving in our lives. And so we believe that when we fail, that it puts distance between us and God. That's the lie that we've bought in, that, that once we've made that mistake, that, that we were here with God, and now that we've screwed up, we're over here. I've got news for you, that, that we're always messing up. God's extending his grace continuously upon us. There's not a day that I walk through that I do it completely right. But I recognize that, that God still journeys with me in those moments, no matter how much I, I blow it. But, but we're convinced that, that there are certain mistakes that cause God to love us less. That there's certain things that we do that create more distance where, man, God doesn't want to be around me. And we feel like, man, I'm not good enough for God. I've got news for you. We're never good enough. That's what grace and mercy is. There, there's never a moment where we can earn any of it, no matter what you've done. And so we just need to accept it right where we're at as God pours it out upon us. And so we believe that when we fail, it puts distance between us and God. But I believe that godly sorrow allows the opposite to be true, that, that it's in those moments where we recognize our failure, where we have the opportunity to be the closest to God that we can ever be. When everything's going great in my life, my relationship with the Lord is not always so great. But it's in those times of need, those moments of failure, where, where I can really feel God's presence. I can really feel God's embrace. And, and it's one of those things that when I screw up and when I respond with godly sorrow, I feel closer to him than ever before. I can feel his love. I can feel his presence. And so point number two is this. God is close to the sorrowful. God is close to the sorrowful. Psalms 34 17 through 18 says this, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. I just want to rest on that, man. Isn't that grateful? That, that when we mess up and when we call upon God in our times of need, whatever it is, that, that when we call upon him, the Lord hears his people. He's not indifferent to us. He hears our prayers. He hears our cries. And so the Lord hears his people when they call to him. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Say brokenhearted. Brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. That God is close to the sorrowful. That, that when we're brokenhearted, he, he rescues us. Amen. He's close to us. He hears us. It's in those moments when the world says you're useless, you're too far gone, that, that I believe we have the opportunity to experience the most of God. How beautiful is God's grace when we need it most? How indifferent can we be when we think we're too good or, or good enough? It's really in those moments of brokenness where we recognize all that God's done for us. Um, I want to share with you, this isn't going to be up here, but it's Matthew 5, 3 through 6. Um, and this is the beginning. Matthew 5 starts Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus' most famous sermon. I mean, it's one that we point to a lot. covers several chapters of Matthew. Um, and I want to share with you from the Beatitudes, just the first few. And so Matthew 5, 3 through 6, and it says, God blesses, say blesses. Blesses, blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, 
for the kingdom of heaven will be theirs. And so I want to pause. So that, that's what we call a beatitude or a blessing from God. God blesses those who are poor, and it's poor in spirit, not financially poor, but those who have humbled themselves and recognized their need for God. That's godly sorrow. When we recognize, I've messed up, I need the Lord. That that's the definition. And so here it is in the beatitude that God blesses those who live their life the way, that way, that recognize that. And then it goes on, it says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That, that when our, we're in a period of sorrow and grief, remember, God's close to the brokenhearted. When we grieve our choices in a godly fashion, God is close to those who mourn. And so God is close or blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That, that when we turn to him, man, God's there and he offers us peace. He offers us healing. But when we run from him, when we take worldly sorrow and turn tail in our choices, we don't allow God the opportunity to do this, to comfort us, to heal us, to be there for us. And then it says, God blesses those who are humble. Again, that there's, there's a humbleness in, in recognizing our faults. It, it's pride that says, I didn't really screw up, that I didn't do this. And pride comes before the fall. I mean, pride is, is the first sin, the original sin that, that, that says we're better than God. I don't need God. I can be my own God. And, but God says here, he said, God blesses those who are humble. That again, when we've messed up and, and we respond with godly sorrow, we're saying, God, I, I'm, I'm not completely in control. I need you. God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. So God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. And then God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. And again, I put that there because worldly sorrow is kind of like this excuse where when we pursue that, we fall into a trap of, I can follow my own heart. If it makes me sad, it's not good. If, if it causes me grief, I'm just gonna run from it. But, but godly sorrow is where we're embracing justice. We're seeking justice. We have a hunger and a thirst for what's right, even at our own expense. Even when it means looking in a mirror and saying, I failed here, God help me. And so God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. And the best part of all of this, man, when we look at sorrow as difficult as it is, and I know it's hard to live this way, but the best part is this, forgiveness is given to those who seek it. Forgiveness is given to those who seek it. Again, our first instinct that, that we want to fall into is running away from it, is denial. I didn't do it. I want to party to that. I don't have a problem. Everything's okay. And we want to respond in that way in these moments. I do it all the time in, in conflict with my wife. Um, in the middle of it, I mean, how many of you married people want to admit that your spouse is right in any argument, right? That's for like day three um, or four. You know, we don't want to do that. Um, but we've got to learn to humble ourselves in those moments. And here's the thing, that, that anytime I go to my wife and say, honey, I've messed up, she's quick to forgive me. She really is. God's even more quick to forgive. Yeah, God, God's pure in and out relationship. And instead of running away in those moments, if we would just show back up and humble ourselves before him and say, I've really blown it here. I've really missed it. God welcomes us with open arms. I mean, Jesus gave the parable, the, the prodigal son who, who denied his father, ran away. And, and it gives us this picture of heaven where, where the father was there waiting with open arms. That's God, that he celebrates our return. 
That, that it's never a punishment situation where he's like, man, I'm glad you're back. I've been waiting to whoop you. Then we're going to talk about things. And uh, no, it's, I'm just so glad that, that you realize you need me. I'm so glad that you're here, that you're seeking my presence. I mean, if we've been gone a month, six months, God doesn't care. It's that we're back. That, that's, that's what he's longing for is us to be, be there, seeking his presence, seeking his will. Forgiveness is given to those who seek it. Worldly sorrow says we don't need that. Godly sorrow says, I just want God to forgive me, to, to love me. I just need that grace. I need that mercy. And so 2 Corinthians 7.10 again said, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin. So this is Paul's letter again, and results in salvation. So it's not enough that it, it leads to repentance where we turn away from the things that we're doing. That the ultimate goal for this kind of sorrow is salvation, forgiveness, restoration. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to recognize these things, not as a punishment, not to experience the shame and guilt and like we're not unworthy. It's that so God can just pour out his love and grace and mercy so that we can receive salvation and restoration through the work of the cross. That that's what this is about. Again, it says for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience, leads us away from the sin. That's repentance, but it results in salvation. It results in us experiencing God's grace, his mercy, receiving it all. First um, John, John 1, 8 through 9 says this, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful, say faithful, faithful. and just, say just, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. That God's plan and God's purpose from the very beginning was to save us. Because from the very beginning, God realized our need for his grace, his mercy. That, that when we blow it, it wasn't a surprise to God. I mean, God knows that we have faults. And, and we keep acting like somehow we've let him down or disappointed him in those moments. And, and, and that's not true, that in those moments, it's an opportunity to do what God wanted to do for us from the very beginning, which was save us, to lift us up, to restore us, to pour out his grace and mercy upon us. And so if we claim we have no sin and if we, we fall into that trap, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins, if we recognize our faults, if we react in godly sorrow, if we turn to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. And then as we close, there's one verse that I want to share just because I think it's important just to, to kind of drive this point home. It's Romans 6.12, not in your, or 6.1, not in your notes, but it says this, well then, and this is in the result of salvation, since God saved us, well then, should we go, uh, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And so just in case you're sitting here and you're like, hey, God saves, I mean, I just wanna give God, I wanna go out and get really drunk tonight so God can just give me grace and mercy or you know, any of those things. No, that, that's not. So does this mean that we should go on sinning um, so, um, we can show, so God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. 
since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? That, that when we receive that salvation, we've got to live in God's grace and God's mercy, receive it, turn away from what we're doing and turn towards God. It's not a free pass to do what we want. It's a call to live differently. We may still stumble, fall, make mistakes along the way, but we still pursue wholeheartedly with everything we have, God's plan and God's purpose for our lives. And so to recap tonight, Number one, godly sorrow results in changed behavior. That, that when we recognize what we've done, um, mistakes we've made or situations, that godly sorrow says, I'm gonna turn from this, I'm gonna change my ways, I'm gonna grow. Number two, God is close to the sorrowful. Don't allow that grief, that sorrow when you've made a mistake to keep you from coming back here, to keep you from coming back to God. That it's in those moments um, that, that God has one of the greatest opportunities to really reveal himself to us. God is close to the sorrowful. And then number three, forgiveness is given to those who seek it. That, that when we blow it, when we mess up, they, all we have to do is turn to God and he is faithful and just to forgive us of whatever we've done. And so um, again, forgiveness is given to those who seek it. And so tonight, all of this, it hinges it hinges on one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. That it hinges on that relationship with him. And so if you're in here tonight, my ultimate goal is for you to come into relationship with Jesus so that you can experience his love, his grace, his mercy. And so if that's you tonight, as we close service, um, we're going to have chip prayers and huggers come forward. And if you want to make that decision to make Jesus Lord of your life for the very first time, they would love to pray with you and for you. And if you're like, that's too much, if you want to find me personally after service, I would love to walk you through that. Or my wife, Janelle, we would love to journey with you so that you can receive that because that, that's what this is all about. Remember, remember godly sorrow is something that, that God intends for us to have so that it results in salvation. That's God's plan for your life is for you to receive that. If you're in here tonight and you've done that, you've gotten off track, again, it's never too late to come back. God is close to the sorrowful. Don't allow the things that you've done to keep distance between you and God. And so if you need to be that prodigal tonight, if you need to come back home and to receive God's grace and mercy tonight and to recommit your life, I wanna encourage you to come forward so you can make that decision. And then if you need to pick up a white chip, if you're in here and God's just pressed something on your heart, your mind, and you've recognized it's time to set that down, to let it go, I wanna encourage you to come forward and grab one of these chips. They're blank. You can write down today's date. You can write down what it is. It's just between you and God, just a reminder that I've handed this over to him. I'm gonna allow him to deal with it from now on. And then lastly, if you just need prayer, this is a house of prayer. We love to pray with people. We wanna journey with you. And so if you're in here and... and you're not looking for salvation. You're saved. You don't need a chip. You just want somebody to journey with you in prayer. We would love to have the opportunity to do that. And so for any of those things, I want to encourage you to come forward. And if you guys could do me a favor, if you could stand to your feet as we close in worship.